This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. We're in the midst of a series. If you're new today, we're in the midst of a series we're calling Anticipation. These are weeks of anticipation as in November and December as we move toward Christmas. It's a time of anticipation culturally for us, but much more importantly, it's a time when we anticipate celebrating the birth of our Savior. And so what we're doing in these weeks together, we're doing a study of Genesis and we're looking at how the coming of Jesus was anticipated through some of the major figures in the book of Genesis. So we've looked so far at how the coming of Christ was anticipated through the lives of Adam and Noah and Abraham, and today Isaac, anticipating Christ through Isaac's story. So we're going to be primarily looking at chapter 26 today, and we'll cover a good chunk of that chapter as we go along, but let's begin with with prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how all of your word ties together in in such an amazing way, and we thank you for how we're, we're seeing that Jesus is right there in the first book of the Bible, how he was foreshadowed, anticipated through the lives of all of these figures in the book of Genesis. And Father, today, we, as we look at something in the life of Isaac, we pray that you would help us to, to draw some things from his story that can help us, that can equip us as we seek to walk with you and trust you. And Father, we pray that you would help us to see Jesus. And, and may we be drawn closer to you through that. And so, Father, I ask for you to speak, help me to get out of the way so that your word and your word alone can be heard. You've got something for us this morning. And so help us really to to focus, to lock in, and to hear from the voice of your spirit now. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have a favorite movie that you like to see around Christmas? Favorite holiday movies? You look forward to them every, every year, a certain movie that you, that you like to see? I have one. Well, I have more than one, actually. But one of them is, is, uh, is White Christmas. And there's a scene in White Christmas in which Bing Crosby is sitting at the piano, and Rosemary Clooney is there with him, and they sing this song, Count Your Blessings Instead of Sheep. And the refrain of the song is, I'll fall asleep counting my blessings. I think we'd sleep a lot better if we fell asleep counting our blessings, don't you? Instead of thinking about problems and things like that, we fell asleep counting our blessings. Well, this is a week in our culture, Thanksgiving week, where we're we're thinking about counting our blessings. We should be. I hope that's on your mind this week. And the life of Isaac is, one of the themes in his life is the theme of, of blessing. And what we're going to see this week is how 
we can count our blessings even in times of trials and tests. We're going to see that in chapter 26, but before we get to it, just to kind of bring you up to speed a little bit on the life of Isaac. We met Isaac last week, right, when we looked at Genesis 22, and we saw him there as a teenager. He was in his late teens, and we saw there that Isaac was a young man even then of great faith as he allows his father Abraham to bind him on the altar, even though he could have physically overpowered his elderly father at that point. He doesn't do it, allows Abraham to tie him up and, and so forth. And so we met him in chapter 22 as a late, in his late teens. The next time that you see Isaac in the book of Genesis is in chapter 24. And he's about 40 years old at that point. And that tells us about how he and his wife, Rebecca, got together. Chapter 24 of Genesis is undoubtedly one of the most romantic chapters in the Bible. In fact, one of the most romantic chapters in all of literature. It is an absolute masterpiece. And it's a great chapter for how God provides for us, how God guides us. I just encourage you, sit down and read Genesis 24 sometime. It's, it's, it's just classic. Well, so God blesses Isaac with a, a wife that he loves, Rebecca. You see that in chapter 24. Then in chapter 25 of Genesis, God blesses Isaac and Rebekah with children, with Jacob and Esau, who we'll hear much more about next time. But in chapter 26, Isaac comes to a point in his life where he's got some very significant tests, some trials and a threat ahead of him. And in this chapter, we really see how we can see God's blessing and count God's blessings to us even in times of of test and trial when we face challenges and and obstacles in life. So uh, let's take a look at it. What do we see in chapter 26 of Genesis? The first thing that we see there is that there's a test, and it's a test of famine. Let's check out verses 1 and 2. Now, there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. So what's happening? There is a famine in Canaan. And so Isaac takes his wife and kids, and they they go down to the southwest, and they're really on the way to Egypt, because Egypt was sort of a safety zone in a time of famine. There was the Nile River and the Nile River Delta, and so they were headed to Egypt to get food, and they're they're on the way, they're in the Philistine territory, which were, they were enemies, They were in Philistine territory, and God tells him to stop. Tells Isaac, I don't want you to go down to Egypt. I want you to to stay right here. So this was a test. This was a test of his faith, because essentially they're, they're fleeing famine, and God is telling him to stop in an area that is still impacted by the famine. And so it's a situation where he has to trust in God to come through 
God has got to intervene. God has got to do something. And the issue is whether or not Isaac is going to trust the Lord and stay there or not trust the Lord and, and go to, to Egypt. And he's going to trust God in this situation. And, and God, uh, God comes to him and, he, and he, he says, Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and I will bless you. We were talking a couple of Sunday nights ago about something that happened in the days after September 11, 2001 in our country. Many of you remember what those days were like in the immediate aftermath of 9-11 and, and what our country was going through. We didn't know whether we were going to be attacked again. You had to feel for our president, no matter where you were politically. Here, here, here he was in the, his first year in office. And 3,000 of our citizens had died on one day. We didn't know what was going to happen next. And the day after 9-11, there was, President Bush had a meeting with congressional leaders. And this was a very, very solemn type of meeting. And there was a point in time in the meeting when the oldest man in the room, Senator Robert Byrd, got up to speak. And he talked about, President Bush's faith, and he talked about the fact that he had recently had uh, dinner with the president and the first lady, and how the president had said grace before the meal, and how much that impressed him, and so forth. And Bird went on to say, he said, there's a whole army of us out here who believe in God, who believe in the power of God. And then he looked at the president to encourage him, and you could have heard a pin drop in that room as the senator looked at our president and he said, you stand there, Mr. President. Mighty forces will come to your aid. That's what God is telling Isaac here, isn't it? Uh, God is telling him, you stay where you are. I will be with you. And I will bless you. I know you look around you and, and you see famine. You see devastation. But stay where you are. Do what I'm telling you to do. Obey me. Trust me. Mighty forces, supernatural forces are going to come to your aid. And then what does he say? God says to him, for to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Well, this sounds familiar, doesn't it? it, it it's, he, God is reiterating the promise that he made to Abraham, Isaac's father. And he's saying to Isaac, listen, this is my promise. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you offspring. And eventually, I'm going to bless every nation. And the meaning of that word there is every people group. Every group of people on earth, every tribe, every tongue is going to be blessed through your offspring because what eventually was going to happen? Jesus was going to be one of Isaac's offspring. Jesus was a 100% Jewish man and a 100% God. And God was promising here that He was going to bless the world through Jesus, every nation, every people group on earth. And listen, we get to be a part of this promise. 
as we take the gospel and give so that others can take the gospel to every people group on earth. And what will the end result be? We saw it last week in Revelation 7. Eventually, we're going to be gathered around the throne with people from every tribe and tongue and nation and singing praises to Jesus. It all flows from this promise. And so, Isaac passes this test. He, he trusts God in this situation. Hey, way to go, Isaac! Well, sort of, <laughs> because now he's going he's gonna to kind of fall on his face next. The next test comes, the threat of murder. Let's check out verses 6 and 7. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. Now we know from not only this text, but several others, that Rebekah was an absolute knockout. She was gorgeous. And so Isaac begins to think, okay, here I am, I'm in Philistine territory, these guys are violent, they're, they're ruthless pagans, some of these guys would just assume kill me as look at me and I've got this gorgeous wife and sooner or later one of these locals is going to take me out so that they can have her. And so he comes up with this ruse, with this lie that, and he's going to tell people that Rebecca is his sister. Now, Isaac did not actually invent this on his own. Where did he get it? He got it from his father, right? He had seen Abraham try the same thing a couple of times with Sarah. Well, it didn't work out any better for Isaac than it did for, for his father. And, and parents, this is really, this is a lesson for us. Because a lot of times, as moms and dads, we will, we will eventually see our own sins reflected back to us through our children. It's a it's a sobering thing for us to, to contemplate. And so that's what happens. Uh, Isaac has seen his father do this, and, and, he, and he tells this lie. Well, what's he not doing here? He's not putting God into the equation. He trusted God to, to provide nutrition, but he doesn't trust God to provide protection. And so he's just not factoring God here into his thinking at all. God could have protected him. He didn't have to lie to protect himself. God would have done that. But he, he comes up with this lie, and it causes all kinds of problems. Verse 8, When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. Now, Laughing is a pretty tame translation of this Hebrew word, okay? They were laughing in a very non-brotherly, non-sisterly kind of way. Many translations translated as caressing. There was affection that was going on, and it was really obvious, this is not brother and sister. And so Abimelech wises up to it. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she's my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you've done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And so 
God comes through here, and God protects Isaac and Rebekah. But you know what? God would have done that anyway. Isaac didn't have to lie. God would have protected him from the very beginning. And, and so uh, God comes through. There's a couple of things I think that we really need to get from this. First of all, what is the cost here to Isaac because of this lie? He compromises his integrity. And, and what, is that, what kind of a testimony is that to these Philistines, like Abimelech and all these other Philistines? I mean, here they are. Isaac and his family are basically the only believers in the one true God in this whole area. And, and here's Isaac, and he's, he's telling a lie. He's, he's, there's, he's not showing any difference between himself and the pagan people that are all around him. You know what? We have to be different in order to make a difference in our world. It's changed people that change people. If we're not any different from the people around us in our culture as believers, I mean, how can we make a difference in their lives? And, and when we compromise our integrity, what does that do for our Christian testimony? People are watching us. People know that we profess faith in Christ. And they don't expect us to be perfect. But when we compromise on issues of integrity, it's just really harmful to the cause of the gospel. Romans 14 says, none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. It's not all about you. People are watching your life. You represent someone higher than you. We're ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador represents someone else. We represent Christ. And we're to represent Him well. And Isaac doesn't do that in this situation. There's another lesson here, I think, from this failure in Isaac's life. And that is, be really careful when you're coming off of a victory. Isaac is coming off of a, a really significant spiritual victory where he, he trusted God. But he, doesn't, he, do, he lets his guard down. And sometimes all it takes is just letting our guard down for a little bit for the enemy to get to us. You know, 1 Peter 5 says that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And therefore, we're to be alert Alert, always. We can't, we can't let down our guard. In sports, when one of the coaches know that one of the most dangerous times is when the team is coming off of a significant victory. Because the temptation is to, to let down, to kind of put it on cruise control, put it on autopilot, and then what happens? They get beat. So be careful. Be careful when you think things are going along, you, you, your, your walk with the Lord seems to be good, and then you kind of let things down, you let it go, your walk with, with God's not quite as close, you're not into the Word, you're not as close to the Lord in prayer, Christian fellowship, things like that. You kind of let those things kind of whittle away, drift a little bit, because really bad things can happen at that, at that point, and that's what happens here. Isaac's coming off of this great victory, and then he falls on his face. But God is gracious. The third thing that we see is the trial 
of persecution. And what we see here is that despite Isaac's failure, God is going to bear with him. God is going to be so gracious as he is in our lives. What happens? Verse 12. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. And so... Despite Isaac's failure, God just continues to bless him. And we're going to see, by the way that Isaac's going to handle this going forward, Isaac learned some lessons that he really needed to learn. He's getting ready to have another just very significant trial. He's going to be persecuted. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. And now the persecution is really going to begin in earnest. Verse 15, Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Essentially, they're kicking him out. The Philistines say, Go! Get out! And so they begin to to push him out of the land. And then we see in verse 17 and 18, So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped up after the death of Abraham. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century, Westminster Chapel in London, preached a famous sermon on verses 17 and 18. And some of the things that Dr. Lloyd-Jones says from these two verses I think are so powerful. He pointed out that what Isaac was seeking in this situation was not some non-essential. This was not some luxury. He was seeking water. We have to have water to live He was seeking water in this situation, something that he had to have. And Lloyd-Jones pointed out that as believers, what we need is we need the living water of the Spirit of God that Jesus talks about in John 4 and John 7, rivers of living water. The Holy Spirit is what we, we must have to live for Christ. And he talked about the fact that What Isaac doesn't do in this situation is, Isaac doesn't call in water experts. He doesn't call in geologists to find water. He knew where the water was. He knew exactly where it was. And Lloyd-Jones talked about the fact that sometimes we have a tendency to, maybe we might go for this. We think that maybe we just need to tinker We just need to adjust our lives this way or that, or maybe try this new method or this new fad. But that's not what we need. Friends, what we need is we need to go back to the well. We need to go back to the well of refreshing, living water. What we need is God. We need the presence of the living God and the power of His Spirit. But in this situation... They had filled up those wells. They had, to, they had to remove 
the barriers. They had to remove the blockages so that they could get down into the earth and find water again. Are there things in your life today, Christian brother or sister, that are blockages that are hindering the flow of the Holy Spirit in your life? Things in your life that need to be cleared away that the Spirit of God would flow and refresh. He dug again the wells of his father. Persecution continues. We see in verse 19, But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they contended with him. Esek means contention. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name uh, Sitna, which means hostility. He's naming these wells contention and hostility. There's a lot of there's persecution that's going on, pressure. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, which means room, saying, from now, for now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. But what's the pattern that we're seeing here? The pattern is that they keep pushing. The Philistines keep persecuting, and they keep pushing Isaac further and further out. He, he stops at one place. They, he, God blesses, finds water. They push him further out. Stops there, push him further out. But everywhere that they push, what happens? They find another well. I mean, God just keeps blessing. God just keeps coming through over and over again. And he doesn't fight back. He could have. Isaac had become very powerful by this point. Could have fought back. Did not do that. He just, but God just keeps coming through. He just, God just keeps blessing in spite of persecution. November is a month where we as Christians are encouraged to pray especially for the persecuted church. For Christian brothers and sisters around the world who are being persecuted. More Christians have died in just the past 100 years than in all the other centuries of Christian history put together, including some earlier this month in North Korea who were taken into a stadium while 10,000 people, including little children, were forced to watch. And the dictator of North Korea had these people, uh, they had bags put on top of their heads and they were gunned down by firing squads and their crime was possessing copies of this book, the Bible, which the dictator of North Korea referred to as pornography. This is happening. It's happening all over the world. But I'll tell you what will not happen. The gospel won't be stopped. It's not going to happen. If, if, if despots like the leader of North Korea or radical Islamists or anyone else think that they're going to be able to stop the spread of Christianity through persecution, they've got another thing coming. Because the blood of martyrs that spills to the ground is like seed going into the earth that's just going to bring forth even more believers. And, and what's happening here is that these Philistines, they're not so much 
persecuting Isaac, fighting against Isaac, as they are persecuting and fighting against the living God. And that's just not a fight they can win. And so what happens? What happens is that eventually (laughs) Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahazah, his advisor, and Sichol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. They can't deny it. This is God. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm. I mean, this is absolutely amazing. Many scholars believe that Psalm 37 is a reflection on Genesis 26. That David, as he writes the 37th Psalm, is reflecting on the 26th chapter of Genesis. And what, is, what does David say here? Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. And see, in trusting God, rather than lashing back and just continuing to endure persecution, take the blows... Who is Isaac really foreshadowing? Jesus. Jesus. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2 of Jesus, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds, you have been healed. Jesus could have come down off of the cross. He remained there for us. Jesus took the blows. Jesus took the wounds for us so that we could be healed. Jesus died so that we can live. Jesus won by not fighting back, by not coming down. He secured our salvation by burying our sins in His own body on the tree because He knew that that was not going to be the final word. The final word was going to be resurrection and exaltation. God was going to reward His Son as He, as he did Isaac. Philippians 2 is a great text to meditate on as we prepare for Christmas. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This is Christmas. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus 
every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Do you know this exalted Christ? The issue is not, do you know about Him? Knowing things about Him is not going to save you. Do you know Him? He invites you to come to know Him. We do that by faith. By trusting in His finished work. Would you come to the Savior? Come to Him today. Come as you are. He will not leave you just as you are. You'll experience His forgiveness and His cleansing and healing and new life. Come to Christ today. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a a song of invitation. If that's the desire and the prayer of your heart, we want to invite you to come. As others stand, slip out from where you are. Come and just share with me what God has done in your life today. If you're here today and God's working in your heart about being a part of our church family, we invite you to come today. There's a need in your life. We invite you to come and pray with someone or pray at this altar. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would work in the hearts of your people now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. 
Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.